Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, guys. DGS. Happy Halloween. If you've been listening to the show for any amount of time, you know that Halloween has always been pretty large in the DGS sky. This year we did some different things. We featured some listeners. I think we're going to do it again next year, even if we end up going to a haunted house. Uh, I want to present to you something kind of special to me. Um, And let me say, first of all, I am not trying to add uh, author to my list of things that I do. Um, I wrote this story about eight years ago, I think, and it comes out of a true childhood recurring nightmare that I would have this this dream, I don't know, uh, a couple times a month, and it would just absolutely terrify me. And in the dream, I would be sitting at a funeral and the body would talk to me, or sometimes it was a crime scene, and as I walked by, the body would talk to me. And it wasn't zombies, it was... Um, it was something more more natural, if that makes sense. But it, it just scared the hell out of me. So this is a story that I found that I wrote about eight years ago. It's called Talkers, and I hope you enjoy it. They weren't zombies. They were our parents, grandparents. And in especially sad cases, 
our children. Experts disagree as to the cause. Some blame changes in the climate, others toxins and preservatives that build up in the human body over time, and still others look to the darker passages of the Bible for an explanation. What they do agree on is that the dead, unless properly cared for, will show signs of life long after the heart stops beating and the brain goes cold. They're called talkers because, well, they talk. Imagine sitting among the crowd at a typical wake. People filter through, view the body, pay their final respects. I can imagine this with great ease as it happened to me for the first time just a couple of months ago. I was at the funeral of a friend's father. His father and I were not close, but I did spend a good amount of time at his house when my friend and I were little. The line of grieving family and polite friends had ended. The minister was preparing to begin the eulogy, and that's when it happened. My friend's father began to speak to me. John, he said, John, help me. I can't move. You see, it's more of a social embarrassment than anything, a faux pas. It shouldn't happen and doesn't happen if the funeral director does his or her job. But like all of us, they have their good days and they have their bad days. The body must be allowed to cool naturally. Any unusual or unnatural heating of the body must be avoided. The embalming process must begin as soon as possible and must, and this is the critical part, must be carried out in a hygienic and thorough manner. John, John, please help me. I feel strange. My God, was this really happening? Why me? Why out of more than 100 people sitting in the funeral parlor would he choose me to speak to? John, I itch. I itch, John. I sat in my chair immobile, frozen. As frozen as the corpse speaking my name. John, could you get me a glass of water? I'm very thirsty, John. John, I don't remember ever being this thirsty. His words were slow and slurred, but perfectly understandable. As I understand it, when the body is prepared, the lips are sewn shut. However, the corpse, if not properly prepared, will actually rip those stitches or chew through them in an effort to be heard. At this moment, most people either choose to cremate, which of course avoids the entire problem, or leave the mouth unrestricted as the struggle can be disturbing. John, the corpse continued, I'm very cold. At this point, my friend approached the coffin along with his mother and said, Dad, it's Tim. It's Timmy, Dad. He began in soft, comforting tones. Dad, you're dead. You died two days ago. Do you remember that, Dad? The corpse seemed to shift ever so slightly. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Today. 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. But this could very well have been my imagination. Dad, you died two days ago at home. We were all there, Dad. I know you think that you're still alive, but you are in your casket, Pop. We are at your funeral. I'm I'm so very sorry about this, Dad. There was a long silence. People shifted in their seats. A few walked out. Tim, hold my hand, said what was once his father. By this time, we all realized that no one was going to rise from the dead and eat our brains. There was no need to find shelter in the hills or to hone your fighting skills. There was no need to decapitate corpses. No, this was merely something to be endured, ignored if necessary. I remember seeing a rabbit run over by a car when I was a kid. It was gruesome and bloody, but the worst part was how the rabbit continued to kick as it laid there when we knew it was dead as it was almost cut in half by the car, but its legs kept trying to run. It's just nerves, boys, said my friend Tim's dad. Quite ironically, now that I think of it, it's dead as a doornail. It's just the body dying. Pay it no mind. It will stop soon. And now, 30 years later, here lays Tim's father, twitching himself, his nerves causing him to speak, to ask for water. Was he really thirsty? Did he actually itch? I guess even the experts don't really know. I mean, how could they? Maybe it's like a phantom pain, like when people lose a limb. Or maybe they do itch. Maybe maybe death itches. That was two months ago. My mother died last night. In two days, we will bury her. My brother and I spent the better part of an hour trying to communicate how absolutely essential it was that my mother's embalming be carried out properly. It's one thing to have a friend's father speak to me, but my own mother, I don't know that I could take that. The funeral director, a paunchy man of 70 wearing a shiny suit that smelled of flowers and sweat, sat across from us. Son, he said, we will do everything we can. We adhere to the highest of standards. We haven't had a talker now for almost a month, and I believe in that case it was due to the fact that the body laid there in the sun for over an hour after an automobile accident. Sorry to be so graphic at a time like this, boys. Forgive me. Do you think he understands, I said to my brother, as he stared out into nothing? Do you think he understands how important this is? My brother took a long, deep breath before speaking. I I don't know, John. I'm sure they do their best every time. It's, it's more embarrassing for them than it is for us. It can cost them business. Evidently, some people are just more prone to talking than others. We stood there for a long time. I kept thinking about Tim's father. Did he still itch? 
This morning was the burial. It was just us, just my brother and me. My mom was quite old, in her 90s. So everyone she knew was dead themselves. There was no funeral per se, no visitation, no friends with casseroles and words of comfort, just two middle-aged men in ill-fitting suits. We stood next to the hearse as they wheeled the casket out of the funeral home. It was cold, bitterly cold, gray and still as they prepared to move the coffin into the back of the hearse for the drive to the cemetery, I heard it. It was low and faint, but unmistakable. Damn it, I said it. Damn it, I told them. I told them how important this was. Take it easy, John. I'm sure they did everything they could. It just happens. We stood silently, listening. From inside the casket, almost too quiet to hear, came a voice. John, said the corpse. John, I don't like this dress. Listen, we have a decision to make here. My brother said we can open this casket and watch our mother talk, her eyes closed, her hands folded and icy on her chest, or we can just put this casket in this damn hearse and get this over with. We can lay her to rest and be done with it in half an hour. You can be back in Boston by supper time. I just stood there, feeling the cold in my face, feeling like I wanted to throw up. I hadn't been there for my mom. I knew it. I knew that she knew it. She was a difficult woman to love, but I had just left her alone these last couple of years. It just wasn't convenient for me to be there. Opening that casket wouldn't change that. My mother was gone. She wasn't in that box. I couldn't atone for my sins by carrying on a conversation with a hundred pounds of meat that just lay there in a pink dress. Open it, I said, almost to no one. John, please, my brother said, putting his hand on my shoulder, don't do this to yourself. Don't do this to me. Open it, I repeated. There lay my mother, tiny, withered, dead. John, I don't want this dress, said the corpse. I hate this dress. I had to decide at that moment whether to engage. It's still a complete mystery. Do the talkers truly communicate? Do they understand what they are saying, or is it really just reflexes like the rabbit in the middle of the road? I'm sorry, Mom, I said feebly as my brother threw up his hands in disgust. We did our best to pick out a nice one. There was a long pause, and then a croaking small voice said, I don't want my hands crossed like this. I want them at my sides. Mom, it it doesn't matter, I said. We're taking you to the cemetery, Mom. You're dead. You died a couple of days ago. I'm sorry about the dress. I'm sorry about your hands. But in 30 minutes, you'll be in the ground. So please just try to sleep. Just try to sleep. You don't care. You never cared, it said. I watched as the coffin was lowered into the ground. I watched for a long time. It's been six months since the funeral. I've done some research. It seems that the average time that a corpse is 
capable of talking is around 24 hours. Some only talk for a few minutes, but others, it seems, horrifically, can still talk for several months after death. They say that if you go to a graveyard in the middle of the night, on a very quiet night, and if you stay perfectly still, you can hear them talking to no one. is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Welcome back, guys. DGS, happy Halloween. Hope you enjoyed my original story there. Uh, So this next story was one of the most frightening things I've ever uh, read. And it was a letter that was sent to me by a woman whose uncle worked at Alexian Brothers in the years following the exorcism of the young man back in the late 40s. And... uh, I wish I had that letter. It might be somewhere in my possession in the old DGS uh, museum archives. I will look for it. But uh, here you go. So I've told this story before, but it's been many, many years. And uh, so, as you know, I have been obsessed with the story of the exorcist since I was a kid and connected to it. But probably 2002, 2003, I went to the exorcist house to do that first investigation in 2008. So this was years before that. And I received a letter from a listener. And it was a copy of a multi-page letter that her uncle had left for her when he died. I know this sounds sketchy, but it's the absolute truth. I lost the letter. Uh, I would give anything to find the letter. It could be in my DGS archives. Uh, As the guys know, I have thousands of CDs from the shows. I have hundreds of documents, and it's probably in there somewhere, but I just haven't had what it takes to go in there and look. But I will tell you the story, and it is 100% accurate. Um, uh, Tom Turbrock saw the letter, and and, and a couple other people saw the letter, so here's what it was. This woman, uh, her uncle worked at, I believe it was Alexian Brothers, where part of the exorcism took place. And he he worked there after this happened. And he was a custodian, maintenance man kind of guy. And they all knew the lore of this room that was evidently always kept empty and locked where a part of the exorcism of this little boy happened back in like 1948. And when he passed away, he left his niece. And if you're out there listening, if you're still around, please contact me. Uh, He left his niece a letter to be opened only after his death. And she sent me a copy of it. It was about a six-page handwritten cursive letter. And it was terrifying. And and here's essentially what the letter said. So evidently, her uncle was just like a total 
World War II maintenance man, uh, normal religious guy. Uh, nothing about him was weird. Nothing about him was spooky. Nothing about him was odd or off. He was just kind of like my dad or your dad or your grandpa. And the story goes that he, I guess he was sort of a foreman or a boss. And a light bulb had gone out in the hallway near that room. And so he sent one of his guys to go fix it. And a few minutes pass. And the guy came back and he said, uh, I can't do this. There's something in that room that's talking to me. And the uncle basically said, you know, look, uh, get it together. Be a man. Go do your job. I don't want to hear any of your nonsense. And the guy said, look, I will quit before I go back anywhere near that room. So the uncle, you know, I'm sure in a huff, uh, goes up there to do it himself. And he climbs the ladder and he starts, you know, doing what he needs to do to change the, the light bulb. And he says that he heard, uh, like, the sound of activity, like furniture moving and scraping and being dragged and things like that. And that his, just his blood went cold inside of his skin. And he stepped down off the ladder and stepped a little closer to the door. And he says that he heard something growl. Just, it sounded like an animal growling at him. And he, I apologize because I, I don't remember the end of the story, but he either quit that job or asked for a transfer or he took some sort of action so that he would not have to be in that space again. And he said that he was absolutely convinced that there was some sort of entity in there, that it wasn't one of his buddies messing with him, and that it uh, made him much more religious. I remember that now, that, that he hadn't been all that religious, and he uh, started going to church all the time because he felt like that was real. But he was embarrassed about it, and he didn't tell anyone about it, and uh, certainly didn't tell his family, but I guess he was especially close with this niece, and he wrote it all down, and he put it in as part of his last will and testament. This is to be given to my niece when I die. And when I started the show and started talking about my sort of semi-obsession with The Exorcist, she sent me a copy of it. I will try to find it. If I do, I will <laughs> publish it. Uh, but yeah, I, I that story, because we read it. We read it in his hand, and it was dated like 1953 or something like that. Uh, and that story's always stuck with me and been especially frightening to me. This would have been um, after May of 1982 when I when I graduated from SLU. I didn't go on active duty I, uh, until December. So from May until December, I had a job with the St. Louis University Campus Police. And typically I was up at the medical school, but one day they were short somebody on midnight. So on midnight, I went down to uh, the North Campus where DeBerg is. And of course, I was young and, and active and I wouldn't sit anywhere. I kept 
kept patrolling and walking the whole time. And I was cutting through to Berg Hall and it was about three o'clock in the morning. And Berg Hall is the administrative hall, but you know, years and years ago, it's been there for a minute. It was where all the uh, um, Jesuits lived back in the day. And I was walking down one of the long hallways there and you know, it's, it's all wooden and it's dark and it's three o'clock in the morning. And there is a priest walking towards me. And what was odd about it is one, there's no priest there at that time of day. And, and two, he was wearing, I think it's called a burrata, one of those four-cornered hats, and he had a cassock, and he was walking down the hallway just as smoothly as possible, and he had open in his hands a book that he was reading, and he was just perfectly visible to me until you get down to about his knees, and there were, there were no nothing from the knees down. He was just floating towards me. And... Ooh, I get goosebumps just talking about it. Um, I just got goosebumps listening to it. <laughs> there, 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 uh, there was no sense of fear or danger, but he got, oh, I don't know, maybe four feet from me. He looked straight at me, and I looked at him, and I was totally silent, and I was completely speechless and gobsmacked, and he disappeared. And I didn't tell that story to anyone for years and years. And I'm a guy who does not believe in ghosts, mm -hmm. except for, you know, there's that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was young, I was awake. I mean, it was three o'clock in the morning, but I wasn't anywhere near sleepy. Yeah. And uh, I just continued on. And whenever I worked down at that campus, I, I kept my eyes really open. I, I can't make his face out exactly, that, that four-cornered hat, the cassock, and, and the book he was reading, it was like uh, like a leather-bound and red, and it was thick. I don't know if it was a Bible or, or some sort of a, a, you know, Bible study or prayer book, but uh, uh, he was clean-shaven, I can tell you that. And uh, I mean, it's, I, I'd like to say he was tall, but it was, it, I, th I think he was, even though the knees weren't there, where he was left off is about knee level. So yeah. so he was tall, he was thin. And uh, like I said, there was a real peaceful sense around him. And, you know, he came up to me within four feet or so and looked straight at me and then just evaporated. You know, there's the, the stories of the exorcism and there's blocked off rooms and things that you know you could get to and of course those blocked off sections were were in pretty pretty heavy states of disrepair this again is 1982 and so that was really spooky going up there and and you would hear things but it's an old building you know you wouldn't hear voices but you'd hear you know sounds like uh uh pops and and things shifting i i, I never sensed anything evil up there but but it was a spooky place to go, and there was a light bulb on in some some decrepit room that was never turned off for whatever reason. And so I was able to peek into that at one point. So I've, I've heard so many stories about Verhagen Hall, and I heard years and years ago a listener called and said that they 
uh, were a student night watchman. This probably would have been in the early 2000s. And talked about that wing or that hall or that room where something apropos of the exorcism must have taken place and that it was like the rest of the building was beautiful and modern and that this was like literally uh, leaf covered and just completely abandoned. And uh, does that check out? Uh, does that that absolutely, absolutely checks out. I mean, the, the paint was peeling, there was lead. I mean, it was, it was just an abandoned little corner of the hallway there. Absolutely. It was rife with, with rumors and stuff. There were a couple of priests on campus. They're, they're past now, and their name was associated with it. Uh, Father Boland's name was associated with it, um, who was a nice guy. But when, when asked about it, he didn't talk about it. Um, nobody talked about it. Um, but uh, that it, it took place, you know, it started at St. Louis U and then moved down to Election Brothers, um, which now has a different name. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but down on, on South Broadway there. And then, you know, most of all we knew, we, we learned from the movie coming in and then suddenly getting out there uh, at SLU, you know, as, a, as, a, as an almost grown up as a college kid. Um, it was uh, just really startling. And then to to think that we knew people who were connected with it, you know, a couple of the older priests. Welcome back, guys. DGS, happy Halloween. Hope you are enjoying this very spooky story from John. Uh, He gets a little bit into the history of St. Louis University and the exorcism, and I think you're going to find it very interesting. Again, brought to you by Portlandia, Big Believer Cabernet Sauvignon. Did uh, did anything like seeing the apparition of this priest ever happen to you again in your life? Well, many, many years later, in one of the houses that I lived, um, I, 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 I heard all the time somebody walking through the house. Um, and then one day I saw them, uh, and it was a guy. He had feet, though. Um, long camel coat, a Burberry coat, and, and I used to call him T-Berry, and he was kind of uh, um, mischievous. He would turn stuff off, blow candles out, um, move things. Um, my wife, we, we have a lamp, and it's one of those lamps where you have to pull the chain to turn on the light, and it's, it's on a, a, a floor lamp. And my wife hates it when you let go of the chain, and it would ding against the, the lamp. And one day it just, she was complaining about it and it started dinging and nobody was near the lamp. And I, I marked that up to T-Berry. John, I love, I love detail and things like this. Going back to the night that you saw this priest, in as much detail as you can, like how far away from you was he at first? And uh, about how long was it that you saw him until he was standing just a few feet from you? Sure, good question. Um, so it has a really long hallway and it was pretty dark. But I must have seen him, you know, 15, 20 feet down the down the path. And like I said, he was slowly coming towards me and I was slowly going towards him. And then I stopped when he started coming towards me because I was startled that there's somebody in the hallway. And uh, I was looking at him and, and again, he, he did not look like a contemporary priest. He wasn't wearing what priests wore. He had that long cassette and, and that four-cornered hat that I think is called a barata. And I, I sent a picture to Andrew. Yeah, I'm looking to, at it. To kind of, to, that's kind of what, what he looked like. The, the face isn't his. 
and he was reading you know how you read and, and while you're walking and stuff which is never a good idea and uh he got within like i said three or four feet of me and he looked up looked right at me and he, he smiled and I, I smiled back and then he was gone so did he just sort of evaporate in front of your eyes totally just evaporated yeah i mean he, he was he was as real as as whoever is standing right next to you yeah and then the next moment there was nothing there and uh man that's that's goosebumps again um that's that's really uh where you start to think well you know maybe i was wrong because i know what i just saw so you it's so fascinating because i'm i'm a skeptic as well i'm a religious agnostic i'm a skeptic and yet i'm very open to this stuff and i've had a few experiences myself uh flesh out for me a little bit for you when you you said like i'm look i'm not a believer in ghosts and yet it sounds like you definitely saw one i yeah no i'm confident that i did and so i'm i'm, I'm less skeptic now um, but you see all the shows on TV, Ghost Hunters and all that. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there's never anything conclusive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, I mean, I, it, it's real. I mean, I saw it. I know what I saw. I'm not crazy or certainly not any more crazy than the next guy. And you, you see it and it, it, it changes you. So, I mean, you're on on the lookout for that stuff and there's i guess there's stuff around us there they say there's people who are sensitive to it i'm clearly not but uh on that day on those days um i've seen things my my kids who uh, had uh you know like a toy room in the basement they would talk about t berry turning on because in the middle of the night all of a sudden the toys would come on you know something would yeah. flick a switch something would start going yeah so not sure what that was about but i mean stuff happens we really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.